Hey, everybody. Melissa McKenzie, publisher of the American Spectator, joining me again, as always, Scott McKay of the Hayride and Reviver in Louisiana, and also contributing editor to the American Spectator. Scott, so we've been cool. talking about your book about Barack Obama, but yeah. we have to keep some secrets for our readers, but just know that this book is in the offing and that Scott McKay, intrepid reporter, is hunting down all the backstories of Barack Obama and his Marxist mother and father. And uh, so when can we expect this book, Scott? Um, I think spring or summer, maybe late spring is uh, is when this thing's going to be out. I'm, I'm trying to I'm kind of on the downhill slope of the first draft of it. Um, and it's, you know, it's been kind of a slog because it's really, it's not a history book, but it, as writing it, it feels like a history book because I'm going back through a lot of, um, you know, things in that time from, say, 2005 to 2016. And a whole lot of it is, um, you know, really, 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 uh, well, it's relevant to today. Because a lot of this, I mean, like what you're going to see in this book when, when you guys get a chance to read it is this is all about how Barack Obama has not gone away. Like, you know, this, like it's like, OK, we had two terms of that guy and thank God it's it's not over. OK, like everything we're reliving the eight years of Barack Obama, only it's worse now because a lot of the things that were not corrected during the four years of Trump, which is not I'm not blaming Trump for that, but. Like these people laid time bombs all through the government when Donald Trump was president. Okay. I mean, and I don't use this in the book yet, even though I'm thinking about it. Like if you've ever you know, read or watched the movie Dune, right. And House Atreides takes over Arrakis and then they find out that there are booby traps and sabotage laid everywhere because Baron Arconan and his goons like left all this stuff. Well, guess what? Donald Trump is like, Duke Leo Atreides in this metaphor, and Barack Obama is Baron Harkonnen. He's not a fat slob like Baron Harkonnen, but I, I mean, in terms of sabotaging the next president, it's a very apt metaphor. Um, yeah, he likes, uh, he. the rumor is he likes bathhouses like Baron Harkonnen. Ah, <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. You know, Allegedly. It's, interestingly enough, and I mean, I don't want to make this a podcast about Dune, but, you know, Frank Herbert was a screenwriter for Richard Nixon. And there was very much a sense when Nixon took over in January of 1969 that Lyndon Johnson had left time bombs everywhere in the government. And that, you know, like Which that he was. Did. Yeah, he did. And so that was sort of, you know, part of um, Frank Herbert's. Uh, uh, narrative in Dune is, you know, it's it's an analogy for, you know, what Nixon had to deal with. Um, and By I, the way, I'm like a Dune fanatic. I've read all of the books, even the one Frank's kids have written, his son wrote, which right. are not at all very good, but... Oh, well. <laughs> but they're still better than a lot of things. And I just, um, it's just such a classic. I love the book. I'm, I'm happy that it's finally getting the treatment it deserves. I can't wait for part two. Did, so. did we have we talked about uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, the documentary? Did we did we talk about that in? Uh, I don't think in, we've talked about it. No. 
Okay. Uh, and I'm not sure I saw this on, I think it was like either Showtime or stars mm -hmm. and they had this, um, it was this documentary and this guy, I can't remember his first name. This guy's name is Joe Dorowski, who was a kind of an art house, uh, film director, like in the late sixties, early seventies, who had, you know, I, I guess he's a, a sort of like a David Lynch of his time or whatever. Oh, okay. And his stuff was kind of really groundbreaking and, you know, it was a little weird, but it was kind of, you know, hippie type stuff. But he came to um, the attention of this French movie producer named Michael Seydoux, uh, who like had a whole bunch of money behind him and all this kind of stuff. And the guy fell in love with Jodorowsky and he comes to him and says, pick a project, any project and, and let's go make a movie. And so this guy Jodorowsky says, dude, because that was the hot book. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the documentary is all about him trying to make this super unbelievably epic science fiction movie at a time when sci fi movies were not, um, you know, big budget, like right. big deal type projects. I mean, you know, we, we really I mean, sci most of your sci fi stuff was cheap, low budget and, right. and really kind of weak Pre -Star stuff. Star Wars, really. Yeah, Anything well, I'm coming to this. So anyway, what's in this documentary is like he wants to do the first like truly first class production, uh, sci-fi production, and he wanted to make Dune with it. Like they cast Mick Jagger as uh, Fade Routh. Oh, yeah. Like Mick Jagger was gonna like was on board. With... Anyway, and he goes and he gets like all of the best, um, you know, artists, sculpture, sculptors and everything to try to craft the vision of the movie. Mm hmm. And so they put all of this together and they bring, they bring it to Hollywood and they go see all of the big movie studios in, in Hollywood. And every one of them is like, nah, this is too big budget and sci-fi mm -hmm. is not a thing. Whatever, like, mm -hmm. you know, the, the same myopia that Hollywood suffers from today. Yeah. And so like this whole thing falls apart on this guy. Um, and, but everything that he put together, like, and recruited all these people to get this thing, this project off the ground, everybody kind of went their separate ways and a lot of the art mm. art like art, you know cinematographers artists were like people worked on star wars mm -hmm. uh, that were brought into sci-fi genre from this guy jodorowsky and especially like all of the aliens movies oh yeah all of that stuff and like a lot of it like they just said oh well we did this for dune let's do this for aliens like all of that stuff came from this absolutely fascinating documentary the best part of it is um you know so like the dune project ends up getting taken over i think it was dino de Laurentiis that, that ended up mm -hmm. getting it and he gave david lynch the the um right. the, the reins right and so they talk to this guy jet raskin he's like and he's I, I don't know this guy he's he's like polish but he grew up in spain i think okay mm -hmm. and so so much like, like just to tell you they cast um Goya, mm -hmm. the artist, okay, mm -hmm. as the emperor. The guy was like <laughs> okay. eight years old and he's like, yeah, sure, I'll do that. Like he wanted like an, a, a ridiculous amount of money and they said, okay, fine, we'll do it. Anyway, so this guy is like Spanish or whatever. And so um, the, the movie comes out and it's David Lynch's Dune, right? And he goes, and this guy's he's talking, he says, so I go to see this movie and it's terrible. It's terrible. He's like laughing. He had enjoyed it. So he's like, it was so wonderful. They made him, they made my movie and it was terrible. They botched it. And I'm like laughing my ass off. Watching this guy's <laughs> like gleeful that this project that somebody else, you know, took on. Right. That, you know, 
And he, you know, I mean, and he wasn't even apologetic about the fact. It's like it makes him a bad person, but he's entitled, right? Because like <laughs> right. this project he put together, which was ahead of its time, mm-hmm. massively, massively, massively uh, successful in an artistic sense in terms of what everything that came from it, but it never got made, right? right. But like there was, a, there's like a break in the timeline before this project came along sci-fi movies were like the lowest rent thing you could do other well, than kind porn. of it's reflective to how most literary critics view sci-fi and fantasy literature is just was low brow and considered um a lesser form of art and you'll still talk to people who will say that even though and this is you know when we created the book list for just so you know spectator readers we have a book list of your subscriber where you can go and look at books for children. And I was like, it's a crime that on these book lists that we have for kids at places do not have sci-fi because so many of the sci-fi books are prescient um, and explain the moral conundrums of certain technology and are yeah. a really great jumping off point. Isaac Asimov, you know, uh, there's, there's certain concepts that are not dealt with in just a in regular literature, except for in a more kind of uh, thematic or esoteric kind of overarching principle way. But the sci-fi books get into the, if this, then this, you know, right. type of, which is very helpful for young people because they're gonna be living in this world. It's not gonna be science fiction, it's gonna be science reality. It is science reality now. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you know, you can hear this over and over and over again. Look at sci-fi and you'll see kind of where technology is going because sci-fi writers are the ones who have, you know, applied some brain power and projected this stuff out and come up with a vision of, okay, what's society going to look like in 50 years, 100 years and so forth. And I mean, those are those are compelling stories. And it's only really been Hollywood in the aftermath of this guy you know, not succeeding, but showing what was possible. Right. And with actors and actresses that are, um, you know, have not been given their due, you know, like female protagonists, like, uh, you know, in Terminator and, um, well, I mean, yeah, even in Terminator. And well, yeah. I mean, you know, Carrie Fisher in the star, like especially mm-hmm. the early Star Wars movies, um, she was a fantastic female protagonist. I mean, she really right. was, right? Like she was active. She wasn't, um, you know, she wasn't exactly a damsel in distress. No. But it wasn't this like modern thing where the other oh, girl's got to beat up all the guys. Like there were things she couldn't do. And that was, you know, kind of okay. And that, like, they, you know, when Jabba the Hutt has her, they go and they get her, right? And then she's able to get out of there on her own. But like she needed some help and that's okay because Luke needed help and so did Han Solo, right. you know, and like she, to a large measure, she was one of the gang. They don't even make that kind of stuff anymore. Like um, I've seen a couple of episodes of this thing that HBO has got this, the last of us. Oh yeah. I, I was going to wonder, is, wondered if we were going to talk about that. Yeah. And it's I, like, I'm not saying it's not good because it, the, the visuals in this thing, which so, uh. so like so you haven't watched it basically the deal is um what's the name of the cordyceps which is which is this fungus 
that like uh, it's actually frightening as hell um, in nature now will actually infect um, animals. Um, Specifically. Lower orders of species like wasps and things like that. Ants. Ants. And basically turn them into mutants. Um, and like the fungus basically takes them over. Okay. But cordyceps is like inert in humans. Well, the first episode of this thing starts with, you know, like, you know, it's 1968 and these academics are on some talk show and they're talking about, you know, uh, viruses and how does, you know, like, what are the major threats to mankind? And this guy goes, I'm not worried about viruses. I'm not worried about pandemics. Those, you know, those things always peter out, blah, blah, blah. He says, what I'm worried about is fungus, right? And so he goes and he starts talking about cordyceps, which is like, okay, so this is the thing. And in 2003, the way this thing is set up is in, I guess it starts in Indonesia, um, cordyceps fungus in some way, shape, matter, or form is able to mutate to the point where it does infect humans and now you get like the world war z scenario and the whole falls apart and this takes place basically this is so it's 2023 20 years after this thing happens and their society's done it's finished like there's like a little you know section of boston that they call the, the qz which i guess is quarantine zone um, that, you know, people are crammed into because everything outside of this cordoned off section is the fungus people who like eat you, right? Or they don't even eat you, they bite you. And then by biting you, the spores of the fungus get in you and then you turn into a fungus person, right? And so like, but the, the long and short of it <laughs> is- fungus person. It sounds so funny, but the thing the is- Fungus like, among us. Well, so, the thing is though, Scott, have, th this, I guess the, the guys who created this the Last of Us is a video game. It was a video and, game that they've turned into a TV series. Yeah. Right, but they created it watching, and I I watched this over the break with my family, and it was a National Geographic special, and my brother and sister-in-law are like, what are we watching? We're supposed to, I thought we were watching this beautiful National Geographic thing. We see this ant gets taken over by this fungus. First off, it's terrifying. Oh, happens? It goes a little so like, it, it it stops following the line of the other ants and it kind of goes off and starts twitching like an actual like zombie and then it just freezes because the thing has taken it's literally eating its brain the fungus right. is eating its brain right then it it stops for long enough and then it explodes out of its head and out of the head of this thing of this ant grows this beautiful plant and flower and then the flower throws off these spores to go get more ants. Yes. And the thing is, it's just like, we were all sitting there watching it like, ah, you know, and this right. is a National Geographic thing. And this is what the guys who created this, and yeah. this is happening to humans. Okay, fun fact before you jump back in. Right. The reason why this isn't a reality in humans, my son informed me, is because this fungi can only survive at 94 degrees and below. Above 94 degrees, it dies. Humans, Correct. by the way, our average temperature is 98.6. However, Correct. I'm going to tell you guys something that scares the crap out of me. The human beings worldwide basal body temperature has been dropping. And it is now not 98.6, but about 
97.9 is the average human temperature. Mm-hmm. And so above that means that we will our body will be susceptible to different you know viruses, bacteria, and things because our the heat of our body um, keeps kills off certain bugs. And I'm like, I wonder how much our body basal body temperature is going to have to drop so that something like this could actually happen. You can't know too much watching these things. You have well, to be able to suspend disbelief, but. Well, okay, but they actually bridged that gap a little bit in the very beginning of the first episode of this, yeah. which is, you know, so the egghead ab- academic who's talking about this, there's, you know, there's two academics and the other guy is scoffing at him. He's, oh, right. and that was exactly what he said. Oh, no, 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 no. This is, you know, they're, they're inert above 94 degrees. And the guy said, yeah, well, let's say the planet warms. And the effect of right. that is that, you know, uh, all of the organisms out there will mutate and adjust. and adjust to the, the warming of the of the planet, right? <laughs> so now they've they've checked that box, so they've got yeah. the global warming piece that's going to turn us into fungus people. Um, <laughs> now, having said that, right. the reality is, if you get infected with you know something, um, your immune system is going to kick in and you're going to run a fever, right? Okay, so if this like. The, if this thing can't survive above 94 degrees and 30, 50 years from now, whatever people, you know, have an internal body temperature of 94 degrees. So all of a sudden this is a viable thing. You get infected with this and your immune system is going to kick in and you're going to run a big fever and it's going to, it'll kill it. Got it. I'm going to say something here though. That is true of bacteria and viruses. Fungi are a lot more flexible. So for example, our, in our bodies, always we have some uh fungal infections going yeah um and candida for example survives just fine but it is kept in check by our good bacteria right in our system right now i will say that it can a good thing a good fungus in our system can easily overgrowth if you're one immune compromised so immune compromised people including those with like hiv aids uh you know in compromised in chemotherapy they often die with fungal infections yeah. ultimately so yeah. i i say all that to say that fungal infections are a little bit different they don't provoke the same kind of immune response because our body has to learn to live with them true although the fungal infections that you're talking about are nowhere near the same thing as like quadriceps well that's true i mean our body yeah you know Uh, i mean like you're much more likely to run a big fever if you got some kind of infection by that kind of invasive nasty bug Uh, i I, I, I don't want to get i don't want to get too bogged down in in that anyway the point is so that you know hbo's got this series going and it's it's like okay uh other than pedro pascal who is the hero of the thing and like he's going to take this girl somewhere out west and the deal is is that she some kind of way has immunity nobody has immunity to this it's impossible to get immunity she has immunity like she got bit by somebody and she got the fungal spores or whatever and her body fought it off and so that makes her like, you know, like the most valuable like gold. on earth, right? Yeah. And so the whole point is to try to get her to some lab somewhere where they're going to try to, um, you know, they're going to try to uh, 
replicate her, and, you know, synthesize her blood or, you know, to come up with some sort of vaccine for this thing mm -hmm. um, and reclaim society. Right. And so he's the guy who's, you know, going to be her protector and is going to bring her out there. Everybody else. And this is a violent show. People getting killed left and right. Whatever, like almost everybody else. They're all women and they shoot guns and they punch people. And, they, and it's just like, OK, like why? It's not. I mean, because if there was a circumstance like this thing shows, I mean, you're back to the Middle Ages, okay? And the women are not going to be the active ones shooting people and throwing. I mean, this is going to be like road warrior, freaking like Mel Gibson uh, kind of guys, okay? This is like the biggest, strongest guys out there are going to be the ones that are going to they're going to run this. And the fact that they didn't account for that. Wait a minute, though. The Scott, so okay, I'm going to just say something right here because I think this is what's going on. So the, the, the daughter of this guy, of course, is a mixed race black girl, right? Mm -hmm. She bites it. The, yeah. fem the female protagonist and then the badass, you know, Firefly or whatever they are, cult member, right. is, a, is the leader of this group, is female. Okay, yeah. right. Black, right. But and, I, all, and all of her major lieutenants are black females too. Yeah, exactly. They're all dead. I think that this was just all to mollify the social justice warriors because oh, we, no ha I mean, we have we have the point. no I know but at the start and then we can get that out of the way and then get down to real business where and let the men do the stuff. I mean that's what I think is you know where, where we're headed. Um, so like I, because the next in the next uh, episode. I mean, the the survivalist is not a woman; it's a dude, and everybody. Well, it's, it's it's the two of them. It's the it's the girl who was. Yeah, but that's in the movie. Um, I, I, I can't remember what her name is, but she was the uh, the the badass little kid in Game of Thrones that threw in with um, um, uh, John Stark uh, when he took over at Winterfell, like in whatever. Oh, really? I I I didn't watch Game of Thrones after the first couple. Yeah, yeah, and she, like crap. she's great. She's great in that, but she's mm -hmm. like, I don't want to. I don't want to be mean, but she's funny looking. Um, she's an ugly kid. Yeah, she's an ugly kid. I mean, and, she's just a homely little kid. I mean, and, and you know, I was just like, uh, of course, she's annoying. You know, like they always oh, have to make you know, as if, as if in a teenager who's in the survival mode. I think the only book that I've ever read, piece of literature that has adequately portrayed the young people involved was like Les Mis, where Guy Frosch is working with the rebels and he's like seven or eight years old and they consider him an equal because anyone who survives in that situation is a complete badass and is and is thrown into adulthood. I am sorry, a child who's lived through the apocalypse is right. going to have different priorities and not right. act like a brat. No. Well, I mean, you know, 15-year-old kids in the Middle Ages, which are We're adults. kind of close to the apocalyptic. Right. Story. Right. They functioned as adults. They, you know, at that at that age, you would get married and they would expect that you right. would have a kid pretty soon and you would work a job. And like, I mean, right. maybe even, you know, you probably didn't have enough money to go live in your own place. But I mean, that wasn't unheard of. Um you know, I, the, I mean, the more primitive, primitive the society, the faster you're expected to reach adulthood. 
Exactly. Right? Like, and, and so the, and, this is just so great. That's the, that's the part. I'm like, don't make me. So like I've stopped watching Walking Dead because I about two, two episodes in started rooting for the zombies. I, I'm like, I, I just, I'm like, I hate these people and I want them to all die painful deaths. So like in, in the last of us, at least I'm still kind of rooting for the people, but you yeah. know, so that that's the thing, you know, some of these zombie movies like world war Z, um, you know, was, I thought well done actually, even though it was a debacle in production, but I thought it was well done. And then the one that Spencer and I like my son, is um it's the funny one uh that bill murray played a bit part <laughs> dressed up as a zombie and then i'm getting shot it's all very ironical um oh i can't remember the name of the movie <sighs> but anyways it was great oh zombie land zombie land is fantastic oh it's funny and and the th thing is, is that they kind of deal with some of the, you know, very obvious tropes and who would survive it, <laughs> why, and all of this stuff. Um, and I'm not, look, I'm not a big, um, well, I, I'm, I'm worn out, okay, of the post-apocalyptic genre. Um, and, and I think there's a certain amount of bad faith involved in making those movies, um, because if you'll remember... Uh, they got poured on super, super, super thick when George W. Bush was oh, president. Yeah. They couldn't make enough of these movies. Right. And it was so obvious that Hollywood was trying to demoralize the American people. Right. That Bush was the president because mm -hmm. like they still made a couple of them when Obama went in, but not that many. Like it was like, OK, we're done. The job, you know, uh, the job is finished and now we can stop making. Now we're going to try to make some stuff to make people feel better about themselves. Right. But like for eight years when Bush was the president, this was like all they made. OK, I mean, it was like, right. Hey, who, who wrote a book about the apocalypse? Because let's go make it. I mean, it didn't even have to be good. They just threw it out. there. That and war movies where Americans are the enemy. They made like three movies. I don't know if you remember during his second term in office and all of them failed miserably. I can't remember the names. Yeah, they were all, you know, we're the bad guys in Iraq. We're the bad guys in Iraq. Yeah, Honestly, I hate to say it, but they were kind of sort of true in some cases but not in the way that hollywood portrayed it right, right. i mean by the uh, way hollywood this last year lost 250 billion with a b dollars disney lost 120 billion of that yeah well look at the, i mean and it's not that hard to see why right no. because the product is crap did you notice that top gun maverick got a best picture nomination yeah, I noticed that. I'll bet it wins simply you think so? because they got yeah because they're in, in they're an extremist. Like they've got to do first of all they've got to do something to resurrect people's interest in the Oscars, and they keep giving the best picture you know right. award to movies that no one has seen. Right. That like you know their Rotten Tomatoes score from the audience is like funny you know like <laughs> at best be like yeah it's okay you know like. Right. Like, nobody but the critics likes these things. And so they're so and now they've lost all this money. They're totally out of touch with the audience. They've got to do something to reconnect. And I would not be surprised if they went and threw Top Gun Maverick in there 
and say, look, see, you know, like we're back, you know, we're back in business and it's the great days of Hollywood again. Nobody's really going to believe it, but they have to do something. You know, what did make- is that oh. it really is a good movie. I mean, it's a, no, it's not a good movie. It's a great movie. Right. It's a great movie for all the reasons that, that, you know, the, the Academy uh, has uh, gone away from um, in that it's, it's there to entertain you. It's there to make you feel good. It's a good story with like very solid morals to it. Um, it does it like Pete Mitchell is not an anti-hero. He's no. a legit hero. He's a legit right? hero. Hollywood yeah. doesn't do, you know, like unless it's like the kick-ass girl. Um, but, you know, other than like girl boss heroes, Hollywood does anti-heroes. Right. Uh, who like, you know, but Pete Mitchell is like, no, I'm not right. an anti-hero. I'm a real hero. I right. have limitations and I get scared shitless because the mission is like way too much but i'm gonna do it anyway right and i'll give my life for my country like all of those things are not um you know they're not, you haven't seen that from hollywood otherwhere otherwise other than in very rare circumstances and this thing is like back to the you know 1986 spirit where the first top gun movie came out which was why everybody liked it so much right Right. It's like, OK, this is what movie making is supposed to be. And it makes a billion dollars. Right. And it's like, OK, right. if you would make movies like this all the time, your problems would end like that. Right. But you don't because you don't want to. And the problem well, is you don't is like America. Yeah. Well, eventually you run out of Chinese and Mexican cartel drug money to finance these movies. And you're going to have to actually make movies that make money. Right. You know, because you can't just launder drug cartel money money to, to make all of your movies. Um, well, the interesting thing is, you know, what is else is making money? So like The Chosen, the the they have their own app. They put the first two for this season, they put, put the first two episodes in movie theaters. Right. Made a chunk of change. It went about. great. Yeah. And we talked about that. Well, they're doing it again for the next two episodes. So they skipped a week so everybody could go see it in the theaters if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they're testing and they're making money hand over fist. Yeah. And so the thing is, there is a market there for good quality entertainment that families can watch where, guess what? Jesus Christ is the hero. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the ultimate hero. It's right. not an anti-hero. It's not the, you know, last temptation of the Christ where you're like, I don't even know if I like Jesus after you watch that movie. It's right. not like that. Right. No. Like, I mean, you know, I know like we, last time we talked about the chosen, I said this, the guy who plays Jesus has the kindest eyes you have ever seen on a human being. It's like, it's almost like, wait, that can't even be real. That has mm -hmm. to be CGI. And then you see him get interviewed and you're like, no, he really does look like that. Mm -hmm. Wow. You know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, the guy is, He's but he's a per, he's perfect. I don't know how they could have. I mean, it's, it's divinely inspired casting is what it is. The casting throughout, like they just um, the the guy who they uh, cast as Judas has been cast now. Um, the, I really like one of the cast. One of the um, I like Matthew. I mean, I, oh, I he's think fantastic. Yeah, terrific. And Mary yeah. Magdalene's great. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, so like, it's it's a yeah. really rich, well done. Cast and these, if Hollywood has any sense at all, these people are going to have careers that are completely launched. Yeah, but they won't. Yeah, oh, I hope. I hope so because some of them are really having, good. Having said that, they may not need to because yeah, 
the syndication. Angel Studios has come along and they are smashing the mold. Yeah. Okay? And you don't have to have some, you know, Hollywood studio system where you have, you know, the same 300 people who are, um, you know, of, of, uh, sexual preferences and uh, philosophical points of view that are greatly different from the rest of the public mm -hmm. uh, making all the decisions like that's you don't need to do that anymore right okay? the day is coming that it like if you go write a really good story okay mm -hmm. and I mean like I'm watching this because you know I got four novels out there that are all really good and everybody who reads them says man this is terrific and boy should it ever be a tv series one day who knows? Somebody may want to grab the Tales of Ardenia novels. I'm just saying it doesn't have to be a Hollywood thing, mm -hmm. right? Because we are rapidly getting to the point where there are alternative means of getting cultural content to the public. Yeah. And when those are fully fleshed out and you're beginning to see with, I mean, to, to me, Angel Studios is like, that is the killer app. That's like the- it really is. Is, 10, 15 years from now, everything's going to look like that. And mm -hmm. they're going to be some company that doesn't, they're not in Hollywood. They're in whatever, Nashville or, you know, mm -hmm. Atlanta or, you know, someplace else. Okay. And they, you know, do their thing where they are and have their own culture um, that they're exporting out to the public and, and totally bypassing the coastal elite and the, you know, the critics. Mm -hmm. uh, all of that is no longer uh, operative anymore. And it, it's going to break this system and it's going to tear down, you know, because Hollywood is real. I mean, what, when you start having an app that you can stream your content onto and people can find it really easy and then, you know, mm -hmm. like that there's a, a funding mechanism, which in Angel Studios case is crowdfunding. I mean, people will donate money to the to the production mm -hmm. uh, rather than having to buy tickets at the box office and all this other kind of stuff. Um, but when so you they, carry they're doing a really interesting thing, Scott. So they have split their their business side. So they have a nonprofit side right. where all the donations that are given to that 50% go to production and 50% go to marketing. So like translation into all the different, because they want it to be in every language. Right. And so they're really, and then they have the company side that is making money and whatever. The the nonprofit side is the one who bought the ad during the, the um Super Bowl and that sort of thing. It's an yeah. interesting thing. I think that we, it, it gives me hope that the, um, because what I love about it is it's phenomenal content. Yes, sure. it is traditional Christian content, but it's phenomenal. And I know that some of the actors watching it, like in Hollywood actors watching it are gnashing the t their teeth because the characters are iconic and like you say, transcendent. They're gonna; these people are gonna be immortalized now yeah. in these in these roles. And yeah. there's not too many roles like that in Hollywood. Sorry, there just aren't. And no. and so like the so you know him, uh, Dallas Jenkins picking these various actors and pulling many of them from obscurity and giving them the roles of lifetimes. And is really just a phenomenal thing for the for the people and for the production staff and they can live in texas so like the the whole thing's in texas so like they, they can 
their their cost of living's lower. People can have a a kind of a normal life as an actor because it's going for seasons. They can move their family and have a real life. Yeah. And um, so I mean, it's just beautiful and hopeful. And you know, just when you think that you know that Hollywood is some juggernaut that can't be beat. Yes, it is. It can be beat, and it is being beating beat. itself. It has yes, been it's beating itself yeah. for quite a while. Um, and and what, what you're starting to see now is they're losing the mystique that they always yeah. have, which yeah. is, okay, these are the people who are the, the, the arbiters of our culture. Nobody really believes that anymore, right? For the same, like, but for the same reason that nobody really believes NBC News is the arbiter right. of, you know, of political information anymore. And like, what do they have to do to keep alternative and independent media at bay, which is, you know, Twitter and Facebook suppressing, you know, everything that's not corporate media content and fact checkers and all this other crap that nobody buys into that. Right. Nobody believes that anymore. And mm -hmm. everything that happens, like, for example, this Biden um, uh, file gate business. Right. Okay. I mean, what little shred of credibility that the mainstream media might have had, um, you know, when they just went breathless about Trump's uh, you know, documents mm -hmm. at Mar-a-Lago. And then this comes out and I like anybody who thought that Mar-a-Lago was like a thing. Okay. Is now totally discredited. I saw a tweet, I guess it was Monday or maybe it was Sunday. Peter Strzok. Oh who yeah. Is, what is he? MSNBC or CNN? I think he's on CNN, but a clown to, you know, as a, as some sort of legal expert. And it's like, what legal expert like what like what like how to break the law like like what is this guy oh, speaking no of did you see the fbi guy who was investigating oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. trump's uh, ties to russia and he has his name his name yeah is, he has ties ran to the counterintelligence fbi counterintelligence out of mm -hmm. new york and turns out he's working for a uh uh what's the guy's name derpashenko or something like he's Oleg getting paid by the russians derpashinsky Der Der or something like this the big Russian, the Putin-connected Russian oligarch that this guy was his was his uh, his paid flunky in the United States. Right after he's like, oh yeah, I'm doing the uh, the uh, the counterintelligence thing, and I'm going to investigate Trump and the Russians. It's like he went to work for the Russians. Like it's, I mean, it's all a joke. All of this is a joke, and everybody understands it's a joke now because you put a joke in the White House that everybody knew was a joke, and when he starts doing joke things okay and and it's obvious that this is like total amateur hour mm -hmm. it's hard to it's hard to make i mean these people six months ago were making the case that oh but joe biden's legislative record is blah 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 blah, blah. and it's like you haven't made anybody's life better okay this is all crap you lost an election and your people are completely off the freaking rails the house minority whip uh has I don't know if it's a son who thinks See, he's a daughter or if it's, it's a, a daughter son. who thinks he's she a has, son. She has a son. Like looking at the guy, it's a dude. Okay. It's, like, a dude. it's a dude. All right. But he calls himself a female name. And the thing is, I'm writing about this. And is it, it's an Antifa nut. Okay. Yeah. I he's mean, a, yeah like, he, he was burning so, down Atlanta. No, 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 no. She, this guy was in Boston. Not Atlanta. He was not. He oh, wasn't. He wasn't in, in Atlanta. He wasn't in with the Atlanta Antifa people. I, we can get to them in a second. But like this clown gets arrested, and the whole thing is just like, okay, um, you're the House Minority Whip, 
Mm-hmm. So in other words, your job is to convince people to do the right thing. And you're the worst mother in America. Like, maybe that's not a connection, but like what you've done to your kid, because clearly she did a number on that kid. Yeah, you don't get Tim that Kane, screwed up. What's that? Tim Kaine, Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, what's his face in New York with when his daughter got arrested? Um, the, the communist mayor, uh, Oh, yeah, yeah, de Blasio. De Blasio's daughter. I mean, these. Th- th- this is a, a problem. So I'm writing about this because yeah. what kind of parents, I remember this one girl who was like throwing Molotov cocktails in New York City and got picked up and her parents were both psychologists. I love this. Child psychologists in Massachusetts or something or Connecticut. Can't I can't remember. It's a well-adjusted kid. by And their kid. And they're like, do you know where your child is? Because she was like 18. She wasn't like 30, like, you know, some of these kids are. And it's like, or, you know, 50, like Hunter Biden. But I think we have a problem. And I think I know the answer. So here, here is the, I'm, I'm just looking at the YouGov poll about how Republicans versus Democrats feel about various religions. Democrats are more okay with Satanists than they are with Mormons. I'm not even kidding. And they are okay with, they really like atheists. They like atheists more than Anglicans, than Baptists, than Pentecostals, than Methodists. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. I mean, that might be a commentary on the modern Methodist church, but I'm not going to get into that. (laughs) Well, I'm not going to go there. Okay. No, we don't have to get into. Well, the thing is, the interesting thing is, you know, Methodism is right in the middle of a breakup right now. And all the churches have until the end of this year, I think, to decide whether or not they're staying with the woke Methodists of America church, or I think it's United Methodists. Or go for the, I don't know, what is it, Worldwide Universal Methodist? I can't remember. Anyway, but our local church, which I lovingly call the Methodome, because it's got because it's got a huge dome on it. Everybody calls it the Methodome. <laughs> Anybody from where I live calls it the Methodome because it sticks out. If I big... wasn't Catholic, I'd say you'd go. You're going to hell for that. But I guess it's a Catholic. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. Anyway, so but everybody calls it that because it's uh, it, you can see it for what you know from all angles and stuff. But they voted. Um, these are hardcore devout Christians and 97% of the church voted to leave the United Methodists and to stay true to Christian doctrine. Right. And so like, but this fight is happening across the country right now. It's ripped Lutheranism in half. It's ripped the Episcopal church in half. It's ripped the Anglicans in half. This is happening. I I think the Catholic church is going to be next. Oh yeah. And the Baptist. Bergoglio is, I mean, uh, American Catholics, are not going to put up with him too much too much longer. I think it's you're going to see a split. I think so. And then you have the Baptists who have been ripped apart with CRT. Yes. So traditional. So like one way or another, Satan is ripping the churches apart in America. But what's interesting to me is that this is kind of a conversation amongst center right people because on the left. They don't, they don't they don't participate. No, and here's the other I mean, thing. If it's if it's not the black church, but there's, even, there's no yeah. Christians left on the left. 
Well, and the thing is, is they hate Jews too. So <laughs> regular kind of boring Judaism get, has a positive of plus nine amongst um, Democrats. It's plus 23 among Republicans. But Orthodox Judaism is in the negative among Democrats. Big shock, Democrats don't like Jews. And we've known this, but to have the evidence of this. Well, Orthodox Jews vote Republican. Well, that's true. But they don't even really like mainline Jews, though. They don't really like even mainline Jews. Yeah. And and so like, so you have these, there's all these preconceived uh, (laughs) notions um, they, the fact that they have not that bad of a view, I mean, they have a positive view of Wiccans, Democrats do. Not a lot, but plus two. It's like five Wiccans, like anywhere. <laughs> like, they didn't even know what that is. Here's the thing. What are the, I don't know if I talked about this before to all you people or you, Scott. It's like, oh, it's, it's sexy chicks with tattoos. So, of course, I like them. It's like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> so, you don't I, even know what Wiccanism is. Like, what, what, you know, like, you go ask your average, you know, dumb lefty, oh, what do you think of Wiccanism? Oh, yeah. And it's only because it's not Christianity that they like it, but they have no idea what they're, what they're talking about. So, the funniest next door conversation, did I tell you about this ever? Okay, so the Nextdoor app is a, a source of endless mirth for me because I think it's the most authentic social media app out there. Yeah. People are insane. So like I'm in the neighborhood where I used to live, I've since moved, but they they the next the street, not even a hop, skipping and jump, like like one street over from mine, somebody had found a little altar at the end of a driveway with burnt remains of something. Well, it was the local Wiccan had offered a blessing for the neighborhood or something like that. So there's, I think at last check, there were like a thousand different people talking. It devolved into absolute comedy. So the, uh, there were people who were like, I can't believe like we have witches in the neighborhood. Oh, you know, burn the witches. And then there was like, oh, but she's a good witch. I know uh, her. <laughs> I mean, it was the best. I, I it's, it was like. Well, what did the witch have to say? Was the, the witch, witch not on next door? The witch is not on next door. Which is a Nobody great Nobody invited her to go in next door? To defend her honor? No, Man, evidently yeah. not. But the whole thing, it was one of the best I mean, ever. She's a witch. She should have known what was going on even not being on next door. Exactly. Maybe her Wiccan powers and all that hot. Yeah, she might be yeah, just a like kind a, of bumbling, you know, entry like a, level like Wiccan. A, a brown belt witch is what she was, not a black belt. Brown belt. <laughs> anyway, so it, it's still to this day my favorite next door thread ever because there people were the um the second favorite one I'll share because this is what happens in the burbs is the discovery that upside down pineapples in your yard or somehow on your property means that you as a couple are open to swapping, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so that's, so (laughs) people were talking about, like, of course, people didn't know this, and someone took a picture of somebody's yard and put it up on on Nextdoor because they had up, up, down, upside down pineapples all throughout their front yard. And they said, does anyone know why these people have 
you know, pineapples in their front yard. Oh, the, the thread. And then people are like saying, what was the address again? You know, like being real jokesters and, and just, <laughs> that's my second favorite. Somebody's going to have to take an ass whipping after that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, somebody might like it. I mean, well, you know, you never know. Better hope so. Otherwise it's like, uh, <laughs> going to have to apologize for quick. I, but anyway, so next door, every once in a while just comes home with some really great uh, storylines and the Wiccans are my favorite, but they are not alone. The Wiccans need to know that the Democrats are their friend. You know, the, the ones that cracked me up on this list were, um, well, how much once over and I noticed that absolutely everybody hates the Jehovah's witnesses. They hate the Jehovah's witnesses. I mean, they hate the Jehovah's witnesses. Like there's no tomorrow. And the universalists, Republicans really hate the universal, the Unitarians, which cracked oh, me up. For good reason. <laughs> they are quite like possibly the, the most like the annoying. the Unitarian Church of Politics is why. Yeah, I mean, right. Uh, I have a story about the Unitarian Church because that's where the local br bridge club is. <laughs> this is what happens when you live somewhere for 25 years. You kind of get to know. But there were two old ladies who were bridge partners and they were cheaters, I tell you, cheaters. And they were <sighs> Unitarians at the Unitarian Church. Of course they were. They, they were at the Unitarian Church in the bridge club. Anyway, so this list, if you guys haven't you seen it. Teach, you know, moral relativism in church and you get it in bridge. So that's you what get you get. get it in bridge. And that leads us back to the politicians with their rotten children. You yeah. know, you can't, you're, you're godless heathens. You think that, you know, the earth is going to, you know, because the the uh, minority whip lady, whatever her name is. Catherine she, Clark, I think is it? Yeah, name? Catherine Clark. She, I never heard of her until they made her minority whip. It's like. I'd never heard of her either. these people from the back bench and putting them in charge. Well, she evidently is a really hysterical that the world is going to end because of climate change. So this is her big thing. Well, well if I, and I, I just read a headline, but supposedly. Cuckoo Kid, who's, you know, like the Antifa, um, you know, the trans Antifa freaking mafia over here, mm -hmm. apparently was just like Greta Thunberg in that, you know, had like a breakdown when he was 13 or something oh. over climate change. And right. it's like, hmm, I wonder how that happened. Maybe mm -hmm. mom put him to bed every night when he was a kid talking about how the world was going to end. And it made him cuckoo instead of, hey, don't worry about that. Make sure you get your math homework done and it's all going to be fine, which is really all you want to give an eight-year-old to handle. Right. Um, you know, maybe you screwed your kid up, right? And maybe well, you the thing is, Congress is trying to mother the entire American people when you can't right. even do it with the one kid you managed to have. I do think that uh, Jordan Peterson said something yesterday, the day before, that was actually, that was insightful. And he's like, it's not whether or not you believe in God. It's just whether it's just who you're going to worship. Yeah. You're going to believe in something. Yeah. He, he so, said that. Yeah. He said that for a while. It's like, you know, God is one of your options, but you have no option to believe in nothing. Right. You're going to believe something. And so like we have on the left, a lot of people believing really crazy things that make for nihilistic, hopeless outcomes. And so you have these kids engaging in terrorism because they think if, they don't make the change, the world's ending. This It's apocalyptic for them. 
And like you look at the numbers, particularly among Zoomers, the numbers of Generation Z people who believe that the world is going to end in the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah. It's astronomical, the number. I mean, it's like scary. It's something like 35%. Wow. Um, And of course, you have the suicide rate through the sky and you have all these different things like, you know, and I hate to say this, but it's it's generation x parents who have done really bad jobs with these kids but it's not just that it's harder to raise a kid um now with uh the the state of the general culture you know like when we were kids you could park us in front of the tv Mm -hmm. and like you know, we learned a lot, right? Like, I mean, you know, it was kind of a positive experience to just sit there and watch TV because- I don't know how much I learned watching MASH and uh, General House. I mean, look, I could probably sing you all the Schoolhouse Rock songs. (laughs) I mean, like the Saturday morning cartoons and everything. Like, yeah, yeah. The stuff that, that, you know, when I was like a little kid and they parked me in front of the TV and I'd watch that stuff, it was mostly good. Yeah. Like it was mostly good. It was when you started trying to watch the adult stuff when you're, you know, 13 that you mm-hmm. kind of get drunk. I'm watching the Halloween movies, right? It scared the crap out of me and I got in trouble. Was like, you're not supposed to watch that, you dummy. Right. Um, but, you know, like that, that was the problem is, just, you know, you like get scared watching a horror movie. Like, yeah, that happened to me too. And I'm 10 years old and it's like, yeah, 10 year old shouldn't be watching that. Of course, by right. the time I'm 12, it's no big deal anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but like now what are you teaching these kids putting in front of the television, right? Right? Like they're, I mean, they're openly Disney, which is supposed to be the gold standard of family entertainment is nothing but woke. And I mean, it's like the groomer, you know, Disney network is like the groomer channel. Right. right? And it, you know, and this isn't just a, a recent thing. Look at all the people that came up as child actors in these Disney things. And it turns out that they were like mortally wounded. Yeah. You know, from the standpoint of their souls right. and have ended up these, you know, horribly disfigured, you know, uh, characters, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it all started working for Disney. It's like this is this the rot has has. I mean, you want to talk about we started off with the last of us and the fungus that takes over like that fungus has been at work at Disney for a while. Um, well, and it's been at work at the culture. It's been at work in the education system. And yeah. so like, well, and I think it started in the education system and it started yeah. in, the, in the colleges really all the way back in the eighties. And yes, and it wasn't, so yeah. we, and we've talked about this. I mean, you know, that was something that state legislators, particularly in, you know, Republican states should have stepped in as soon as they started spending all this money on higher education, they should have been like hardcore riding herd mm-hmm. on how that money was spent. And they didn't. Yeah. And it's yeah. a, like a massive, 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 unforgivable sin that the Republican establishment at the state level spent that money and fueled this monster. I'm going to say something controversial. I think that the problem really came in when moms wholesale left the home and went to work because the moms were involved with the school every single day. They, they were taking their, they were doing all of this mom stuff. They were talking to each other. They had time to pay attention Um, there. And then you had no child left behind, but which forced ironically, I, it was, 
I hate that legislation. I hated it in real time. It was discriminatory against especially single moms because it forced homework um, and it took the onus of responsibility off of the teachers to teach and pushed it home onto the parents. And so the kids who didn't have that kind of support at home were actually more harmed. So you have women in the workforce wholesale. Now these kids are alone. Now nobody's paying attention to what they're learning. By the time the mom gets home, she can't even cook. You know, now we have ready to eat meals. We wonder why kids are fat. Well, it's because they're not eating homemade food. Right. And then, and, and they're so stressed because they're put in situations they are not really capable of handling being alone or being in daycare or being in aftercare with psycho other kids. And so like one, the cultural problems that all of this created uh, made for, so, you know, during COVID in some ways, it threw us back to the eighties because moms were at home, dads were at home. They're watching what's going on in the schools again. And they're like, holy, what happened? Yeah. You know, I thought I was sending my kids to school and they were getting educated. No, they're being indoctrinated. And now, you know, there was, there's a piece up at the American spectator today that you all should read. And it's about, basically what's happening on all these school boards where conservatives have gone in and swept out the people who were there and, and what they're facing and how they're trying to deal now with the mess that is in the public schools and, yeah. and basically where to start. And one of the people interviewed was talking about how she just wants kids to be able to read by third grade. I mean, because they're, uh, you know, all of this woke uh, ass hattery is kind of uh, dis disguising the real problems within the schools, which is that the kids are there's not. There's no substance to the education. No, no. So you have children who can't read, write, and do math, and um, but they can, but they know which gender they are. I mean, it's just ridiculous actually so, they don't know what gender no they don't know what gender they are and so um, now you know right. these are what the school boards are having to deal with well and, and you know and that that's i think over the next several years because I, i'm not overly optimistic about you know the conservative takeover of school boards because i think what's going to happen is is you're going to get a fresh round of left-wing money that's going to fight this off mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and generally speaking this is too sort of meat and potatoes for the Republican donor class to sink its teeth into. And the thing about citizen activism is it tends to peter out because people are busy, right? And they have other things to do. And so what you're going to see is a whole lot of these people that have just gone on these school boards are going to get discouraged. Um, well, and, I and hope so, not. I mean, well, but, but I think where this is going to evolve is, okay, so you now have this big wave of of people going on these school boards, all right, we're gonna we're gonna scrub out all this left wing crap, and I, you know, initially you probably will see a lot of it go away, but when the pendulum swings back and the money will force it to swing back, what you're gonna have is a lot of people on the right are gonna look at this and say, system can't be saved, mm. and I think that's what gets us to the point where we really can get somewhere, which is. We're not doing the public school thing anymore. We're doing the money follows the child thing. And well, this, this week is school choice thing. week. This is school choice week, by the way. This is school choice week. And like Texas is going to change. And I can't remember. There was just a state that passed the 
the um, shout out to Iowa. So I guess it was Iowa that that had the. You guys have a our producers from Iowa. You have a Republican governor, I think, and uh, Jim Reynolds. Yeah, who is yeah, fantastic. she's fantastic, and she just passed the the funding follows a child. So if right. we can get this in Texas and we can get this lots of places, that upends the power locus. You well, know. you have to you have to do that. Um, yeah. You have to do that. You have to do paycheck protection, at least mm -hmm. for teachers. Yes. Uh, which, you know, Florida is doing and they are going absolutely insane in Florida over the paycheck protection bill that's moving through the legislature. Um, but you have to do it. You have to. Um, because what you have to do, if you can't reform these institutions, you have to break them. What yes. you can't do, I mean, you know, this keeps coming back to The Last of Us, right? Uh, there's this scene, okay, and I guess it's in the second episode, where they take you back to the very beginning of how this started in Indonesia, and they bring this professor at the University of Indonesia, and it's like, look, we have this, what do you think of it? And she's like, like, well, you know, it's, I don't know what it is. It's like, well, it's cordyceps. And she's like, that's not possible. Like, take a look. And, you know, so she says, okay, and they're like, well, what, you know, we need you to make a vaccine. Says, no, 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 there's no vaccine. There's nothing. Well, what do we do? Bomb this city. That's what she says. Bomb the city. And so like that's the analogy. OK, because if you can't fix these these institutions, you have to bomb them. Right. And yeah, that's destructive or whatever. But this is not the same thing as the last of us. OK, you can actually replace these institutions with markets, uh, particularly in education. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, the minute you do that, I mean, this is the thing. Go 20 years in the future. Let's say, if you know, you pass money follows the child all over the country in the next couple of right. years. And the kids that are going through that are now like going off to college and they have been to, you know, whatever, you know, different choices come up, you know, some learning pod or micro school or whatever. And it's kind of tailored to the beliefs of the folks, right. Mm -hmm. Who are, you know, like, okay, like we're, we, you know, we're going to spend the money where we think it, educates our kid best and it's not going to be some bureaucrat or some you know sociology major from freaking wellesley or tufts that's going to decide my kid's future it's going to be us right and then those kids 15 years from now or whatever are like now they're looking at colleges right and so they go visit right. a school and it's i'm not going here these people are nuts right mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the colleges are now they're faced with Rather than having, you know, ready-made drones that the, that the, you know, woke public high schools and so forth are, are, are bringing to them, all of a sudden you have, to, you have a, a very diverse educational marketplace that's bringing you students. And you have to actually be, you can't just say, okay, well, we're going to indoctrinate all these kids to be Democrats because a whole lot of them are going to be like, no, I'm not coming to your school. We're not going to spend tuition money on you know, woke indoctrination at the at the higher ed level. You're going to have to actually educate my kid. That's already well, happening, that's by totally the way. totally different. That's a totally different. Yeah. Um, and, you know, at that point, people are like checking out Hillsdale and um, Grove City College and all these other places and say, OK, like, what's their secret? Because they're busting at the seams while the rest of these schools are, you know, have empty dorms. Right. The conservative Catholic schools are the University of Dallas. University of St. Thomas, University yeah. of Mary, bursting at the seams with students and the classical yeah. schools. I'm going to give a shout out right now because we have two board members putting their money where their mouth is. Uh, Bob Luddy has started a, a 
whole string of schools in North Carolina, classical schools, some secular, some Catholic, all stayed open all throughout COVID. These children continued to get educated. It was fine. Tom Tarzian is funding classical schools and funding uh, conservative uh, Catholic um, groups on college campuses. And so what's happening is that already parents are going, wait a minute, we are not sending, we're not going to invest all of this into our kids growing up and then sending them to a college and have crap dumped into their head. And right. so just like everything, there's starting to be competition. And the problem for these big schools who've been so woke, like if you are accepting, oh, what's his name from Florida who got into Harvard and he's just stupid. Um, he couldn't even get into the local, he, when the, the school got shot up, um, oh, what's his oh, name? David. You know, um, yeah, David Hogg. Yeah, Hogg. Yeah, okay, so that kid. So he couldn't even get into like the local community college. Like that's how dumb he is. But he right. got into Harvard. And so he got, and so the, the schools are filled with these type of people, either legacies or affirmative action or kids like David Hogg who have no business right. being in a and school. They have some, some sort of notoriety. Notoriety or whatever. Meanwhile, the actual legit good students um, and this is what I'm seeing over and over. Like I saw this with one group of one of my kids. They were all a couple national merit scholars. They got into, um, they got either scholarships or got scholarships. Once they got into the system, the schools couldn't like overtly, you know, help them, but then help them. Now in the, in the national merit scholar cases, they got, some of them got full rides, but the, but the point being is that the Ivies didn't want anything to do with them, even right. though they're supremely qualified. Right. Because they're letting these woke idiots in. Right. Well, you know, what's starting to happen is you're starting to get this uh, power balance change in higher ed where the best and the brightest aren't going to these big yeah. names. Well, schools. I mean, right. And that was that's, it's already it's happening, what you described. Was just to say, well, okay, because your school has gone down. Like your school's not good, right? You know, right. I mean, your student body is not more talented than other people. They may be more connected, but they're not more talented. Right? They don't produce the kind of scholarship that they used to. They don't produce the kind of scholarship that you know, whatever a Hillsdale might, or or you know, whatever you know, whatever the, what, the best fill in the blank the state day. school that is that that is you know actually pulling people by based on merit. Right, and I mean, so ultimately that that can't sustain. Um, right. And look, you can kind of blow this up to like the 30,000 foot, you know, big picture level. And it's every one of these systems, okay, whether it's a communist system or whether it's a, you know, sort of a fascist corporatist, you know, mm -hmm. any, any kind of centrally controlled system that's not based on both merit and, um, um, you know, I, I don't want to say natural law, but like objective Mm -hmm. uh, criteria mm -hmm. that that drive the, the evaluation of things. All of that gets corrupted when you have too few people making too many decisions. And everything that the left does, whether it's in the culture or the economic sphere or the political sphere, it, it's all building that pyramid. 
so that at the very top you have you know a group of people that they select are you know their command filters down all the way down the pyramid you know and you see this in in everything in in you know the legacy corporate media you see it in hollywood you see it in the universities you see it in government bureaucracies you see all of these different places where it's all trying to sort this thing in this very strict hierarchical um uh, control structure and it doesn't perform okay like go every everywhere and look at this and over time it never performs because it stifles innovation and it stifles effort because if you're at the bottom of the pyramid you're going to stay there really no matter what you do it's not most of these systems are not meritocratic okay other than a very small number of people who are selected from above and not necessarily because they're any good at their jobs right right? in all of these systems the best way to do this is to find a mentor who pulls you up and Mm -hmm. be you know ride in their slipstream as they kiss butt on their way to the top all right right um, you know, it's very seldom the guy thinks differently and says, no, 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 let's do it like this. And his way is like definitely better. They crush that guy. Mm-hmm. All right. But the problem is, is that society is now too big and too competitive and too integrated in that, you know, somebody could be a social media superstar that, you know, like gets a big YouTube following and makes a really good living. Okay without the corporate media structure finding them and groom them and and right. you know give them a show or whatever like there's too many you know steven crowders out there um i'm using him because he's he, he you know his name has come up but i mean that's a guy who on youtube has built a you know a thing and then he went to the blaze and he's got a big audience and he's you know probably going to do his own platform basically to run his deal because he didn't like the offer that the daily wire made him uh, when he decided to leave the place. But the point is, is that his deal is pretty much organic. Like Steven Crowder built his own brand. Like he didn't have, you know, he didn't get some job at NBC or, you know, some cable channel or whatever that turned him into somebody. He made it on his own. Um, and he could launch his own platform and maybe not make as much as the Daily Wire has given him, but certainly, you know, um, he can launch his own service. And I mean, the Daily Wire was an example of, I mean, these were a bunch of guys that were not corporate backed. They got some, you know, some investor money that came in, but they started a thing from scratch. Like it wasn't a corporate media thing. And so you're starting, we talked about Angel Studios, which is a perfect example of how this is. And you're going to see this all over the place. I think it's a matter of time. All it really requires is a little bit of help from uh, Republicans in state legislatures. And you're going to see education bust out of this, you know, this, this pyramidal hierarchical structure um, that, that the teachers unions and the bureaucrats and everybody else has kind of put together that doesn't work. Yeah. I've, I've seen this coming for a long time. I'm actually surprised it hasn't happened. One of the things I'm talking about in the Obama book was that Barack Obama might have been, might as well as been uh, Benito Mussolini in terms of the guy was a fascist corporatist. And mm-hmm. there, there's, in Ed Klein's book, The Amateur, he talks about this dinner that um, right after Obama got elected or inaugurated, rather, he brought all of these historians, Michael Bachelaus, Doris Kearns Goodwin, so forth, mm. like all these left wing historians. And he brings them to dinner at the White House and they're going to have this whole thing. And basically what he was fishing for is, hey, what do I got to do so that you guys will write me up as some great president? Right. Right. And that was the, the thing. But, you know, um, according to Klein, 
at this dinner, he basically comes out and says, you know, what, what I like is a corporatist America. Like, I like that hierarchical structure where we're going to get government together with the big players in each of these economic sectors, and we're going to restructure the economy along those lines. And of course, Klein's deal is, is he's Obama's an incompetent. And I'm, I disagree completely, because if you look at the American mm -hmm. economy, even after four years of Trump trying to reopen it, the American economy is very much that hierarchical, yep. you know, corporate driven, cronyistic, you know, state capitalist type structure, um, even though it's pretty clear it doesn't work. Right. Like this is how you get a sclerotic economy and China takes everything over because there's not enough innovation. And I mean, it's not fun enough to like go start a small business and grow it up. I mean, you like you get it to a certain level and then somebody buys you out and you take the money and go play golf or hang mm -hmm. out on a beach because it's too much trouble to try to build a mid-sized company into a fortune 500 company. It's like, it's almost impossible to do now. And that's Obama. Like it was moving that way to some extent before he came in, he turbocharged it. He made it almost impossible. And every year he was president. And I knew this at the time and I'd forgotten all about it, but every year Obama was president, there were fewer businesses extant in America than the year before for yep. eight years. Solid. That trend line went straight down. That was the goal, though, to yes. get rid to the. And the thing is, we can see what happened in California and New York, where, and they're talking about in California. I love this. I hope they do it. A billionaire tax of one point five percent per year. Yeah. And also that they want to tax, and so anybody who might leave to get away from it that they want to follow the people where they move, kind of like the federal government does when you, like if you have, take a job overseas right. and move right. to another state that they can still tax you for a certain number of years. Like what makes you think that that <laughs> ever could be enforceable? Well, and so the interesting thing with this is like, there was an article, uh, Carol um, Markowitz was writing about this, about saying that uh, kind of like, you know, the, in, um, Oh, the the stage play. They'll be back. That the New York the a New York writer was saying all those people who moved to Florida. They'll be back, right? And it's like, mm, don't Maybe. think so. No, they're not going to be back. And the people who moved to Texas from California, no, they're not moving back. Uh, they, they, yeah, it, because all of these people have been propagandized, like the people in New York and people in California, and so they have certain beliefs about themselves and about the state they're in. And then they go and they move somewhere uh, uh, kind of on faith because they're sick of what is. And then they find out, wait a minute, we've been lied to. This is pretty great. And so I think that there's they're, they're not coming back. And all of the decisions that New York and California in particular, New Jersey, Illinois made that just caused the people to flee, um, they're indeed due to now because they've lost a lot of um wealthy people and middle-class people who pay taxes i and love that that series of skits that the babylon b did about the 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 couple from california who moved to texas and they're <laughs> like, the, they're, one, like the, they're like the really crunchy woke californians right mm -hmm. and they, they moved to texas and they can't understand like why the neighbors are all so friendly and the guy <laughs> goes, yeah well let you all come down to the barbecue right like you know, and, and she's like appalled. Like, Those are animals you're cooking on the grill. And the husband's kind of like, 
that smells pretty good, right? Like, <laughs> so like they they totally convert him into a Texan. He's like conflicted about it because it drives his wife nuts. And then they go to Bucky's. Oh. Yeah. And like the minute they go to Bucky's, it's like, oh yeah, it's over. These people are gonna be Texans forever. Yeah, exactly. Um it's yeah. it's 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 hysterical. I think it's four or five of them. And it's, you know, it's kind of like their their progression from, you know, totally out of place, like woke Californians to like <laughs> almost Texans. Um, and, you know, but, and it, the thing is, it's like really funny because it's true, right? right? I mean, you know, to a large extent, you're the product of your environment. And if your environment becomes different, it will change your attitude. Um, and, you know, and the thing of it is, is that you're getting this great sorting and the big, you know, threat and concern and, and worry that everybody has, like in a Texas or a Florida, is, oh, my God, you know, these people are going to come down here and they're going to mm -hmm. change our politics or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you go back to, like, Texas in 2018 um, and the, the Cruz-Beto-O'Rourke election, mm -hmm. okay, um, if it wasn't for Californians moving to Texas, uh, Cruz Cruz lost. lost that race mm -hmm. because those people voted heavily for Cruz because mm -hmm. they looked at Beto O'Rourke and like, oh, we know all about that guy, mm -hmm. right? Like we, we've had a succession of people just like that as governor of California and they mm -hmm. wanted no part of Beto O'Rourke. Right. And it was actually, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was, you know, native Texans that propped him up. Suburb suburbanite women, suburbanite women. Yeah, it was the, it was the suburban Karens, and mm -hmm. to a large extent, it was it was uh, it was the Latino vote because mm -hmm. they thought he was Latino. Right. My name's Beto, and they're like, oh, he must be Mexican, and it, it, like he fell off every time he would run. It was like, oh, yeah, I, I actually found out that you lied to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're actually Irish and white as can be, and come from money, right? And you from you New know, England. You call yourself Beto is because that's what the maid called you. Right. And they're like, oh, why didn't I know that back in 2018? And so now he's done. Right. Right. But I mean, the point was the Californians who just got there, like they they saw through that guy right away because right. They, they like, oh, this is every politician in California. Right. And the people from Texas thought he was something new. Right. Because previous to him, like they didn't run people like that. Right. right. They would run Ann Richards. Right. And it was like, right. oh, OK, so like we but this guy comes along and he's like something a little different. And they like, oh, well, he's you know, he's the Mexican Barack Obama. He's like, well, he's not Mexican and he's definitely not Obama, <laughs> but his politics are similar. And like they didn't quite get it. Right. Because it was something different. And then, of course, you know, he, he's a declining asset because the more people get to know who he is, the more they realize how full of shit he is. <laughs> but the people from California knew right away because right. they had been, they were inoculated. They were exposed to it. They right. already knew what they had and there was no selling them on any right. kind of Beto O'Rourke. Um, so I'm not sure that all these people moving from Illinois or New York or California or, or you know, these, these blue states, I don't like, I don't think those people are, per se a liability if you're yeah, no i don't think so because i think more of them are republicans than democrats now when you get to the point where you're hardcore cleaning those states out and it's the, the second or third wave of people the true economic refugees yeah that could be yeah, where you start getting the lefties come mm -hmm. um and what you have to do the minute that those people show up and start protesting things <laughs> like 
you know, the old school, you know, like take him to the state line and get, you know. Like, <laughs> well, you know. the thing is, is that I say there's certain laws that pass to make it so that liberals under no circumstances want to be here. For example, uh, Texas has a fairly right. draconian abortion law. Right. And and there, there have been liberals saying, I'm moving out. And I say, good riddance to you. See you yeah. later. Go you where do you realize can... that's exactly what we passed this bill for, right? <laughs> right. It's to run you off. Yeah. I, you know, I, like, we don't want you here. Get yeah. You know, like that. <laughs> that's, yeah. like, that's like, no, that's, I mean, that's great. Like, th those are the kinds of things that, you know, it, that this takes Republicans thinking a little bit like Democrats. Because Democrats have known for a very long time how to run us out of a city, for example. Right. Like, they've known this for a long time, right? The minute we pass... We're going to pass a, a human rights commission to make mm -hmm. sure that you're not discriminating against trans people in your business. And mm -hmm. this guy says, my business is moving to Williamson County, mm -hmm. right? Because I ain't doing business in a place that wants to find me $100,000 because I didn't want a guy in a dress selling Ford pickup trucks at my dealership. Right. Like, done, gone. And they were like, good, we don't want that guy because we don't want him involved in local politics with money right. that he's done right. or whatever. Like, we want him gone. Let's get him out of here. And that tax base we can replace by drawing down from the federal government. This is me talking about you know weaponized governmental failure that I talk about all the time, but it's real. So what you need to do is a little bit of weaponized governmental failure at the state level if you're a red No weaponized state. governmental success. Well, okay, but it's, you know, in other words, it's a failure from a from a left wing state, oh, you well, made your state not you know not worth living. Okay, yeah. Like for example, here's some advice for the Georgia legislature: you need to come up with the most draconian, I mean, hardcore, offensively draconian, um, anti Antifa bill that you can pass. Yeah. Okay. I mean, go hardcore on this. Like you get. 25 to life if mm -hmm. you you know uh set fire to a cop car mm -hmm. okay like we will put you in prison for life if you set a cop car on fire right um you know or if you engage in you know a riot and somebody gets killed you're now mm -hmm. a principal to to murder mm -hmm. or whatever and make it so that all of these rich assholes from mm -hmm. mostly from not from georgia Right, because well, I don't know, like it, it's been given zero play in the media, but Antifa has built an autonomous zone in Atlanta. Right. Nobody knows this. Okay, just like what was it, Chaz in Seattle? Yeah. They've done that same shit in Atlanta, and right. it is being covered not at all. I didn't even know about it until this morning. Stephen and Green. CNN, for everybody's information, is in Atlanta. That's uh, well, for now, CNN's pulling out of downtown Atlanta. Well, I know, but I'm just saying right. that it's not yeah, for lack of coverage. Right. They don't, they don't, well, I mean, like, you know, they're not reporting this kinds of stuff. Right. I mean, it's just not made it into the mainstream media. And it's not because it's happening in, in you know, East Jesus somewhere. This is in freaking downtown Atlanta that this is. Right. Okay. They're destroying the city. So much so that the, that the you know, left-wing Black Democrat mayor of Atlanta is like throwing a fit about this. And I mean, you know, Keisha Bottoms, who was the mayor, mayor of that place before, was happy to let it burn. Mm -hmm. And this guy's like, wait, whoa, there's nothing left. You guys can't do this. So, I mean, you know, it's it, this is actually a thing. But, you know, I mean, 
they're they're burning stuff down and they're doing all this stuff in Atlanta. And these same morons who are reporting this MSNBC, I think the guy was mostly peaceful demonstration with a burning cop car in the back and like four people got taken to the hospital. Right. Mostly peaceful. And it's like, Jesus, you did that in 2020 and you made an ass of yourself then. And now you're doing it again. And it's like, well, and like I said, I found out about this reading this morning, which we're recording this on, on Tuesday. Uh, Stephen Green at uh, PJ Media had like a whole thing about it. It's really, really well written. And he's like, this is not a redux of 2020. This is a preview of 2024. Yes. Yep. And he's right, because if this is not cracked down on hard, like to the point where these people are scared that right. it will be the end of their lives, either literally or figuratively, if they engage in this stuff, because these are all privileged freaking brat kids just like the, you know the, the moron in boston whose mm -hmm. mom is uh is the democrat house minority with that's who these people are they are creatures of comfort and when you start making them really uncomfortable they probably mm -hmm. change their politics because all of them are 23 years old and got some worthless degree from some super expensive college or dropped out of school because they thought it was oppressive all right and rather than go get a real job they go hang out at the Atlanta Autonomous Antifa Zone, all right? You got to crack down on that. I mean, Brian Kemp's the governor of Georgia, just got a huge, re you know, just got reelected. I mean, Brian Kemp is, is- He's let it go this far. Whatever he wants to do to these people, okay? He will I know, but he hasn't though. I know, well, that's what I'm saying. Brian Kemp could make himself a star right now, going to that legislature and saying, give me a bill. And mm -hmm. I will bring the state police. I will crush this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and honestly, you should, because it will only metastasize. Right. All right? And uh, you've already seen what these people have done. Atlanta. Have you been to Atlanta lately? Atlanta's it's been a, a couple of years since I've been to Atlanta. Atlanta's a mess. Mm. Okay. It's a mess. I mean, CNN pulling out of downtown Atlanta. That's crazy. I didn't know that. That's look that they're not alone. Downtown Atlanta is starting to become a ghost town. All right. Um, uh, and that's I mean, too bad. Atlanta is one of the a, a look, really I mean, nice the, the, southern the city. Controversy about Buckhead trying to become uh, yeah. you know, its own independent city. And it's because the police are non-existent. And these mm -hmm. people all have nice stuff. And mm -hmm. I mean, you know, these people are practically coming to loot their houses. You can these you, know, you talk about the suburban women that want to vote Democrat. Well, you can't jog on the streets of your neighborhood because somebody will jump out of a car and beat the hell out of you to take your freaking, you know, iPod. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like that, like literally how bad it is. And, um, you know, something's well, got to be- Well, Camp could do something. He could have done something. He's not doing anything. We'll see. I, this, is, I have... this is the win. You come in and you say, okay, that's not going to happen in my state that I govern. All right. And we we're going to get the legislature to pass laws to crack down on this stuff and make it so that if you want to, you know, this is the, you know, the FAFO uh, regime that you're going to put in it's F around and find out. OK. All mm -hmm. right. Fine. We're going to make it so that we're going to call in the National Guard and we'll start shooting rubber bullets. But if you guys want to have a real live insurrection, we're going to show Nancy Pelosi how it's done. I don't see it happening in Georgia. No, I'm not saying, not with Brian Kemp, but what I'm saying is, is the opportunity is there.
Oh, yeah, sure. The opportunities there. I mean, the one thing is, I will say this about Abbott here in Texas, because they had this problem with, you know, um, the local uh, Austin government, they're, right. uh, you know, passed this law that lets people, vagrants lay in front. And so they had in front of the Capitol all over, it was ruining downtown. Yep. And Abbott was like, no. And so like, they're using state level stuff to, keep, you know, keep the riffraff um in check but you want to ruin a t city that's the way you do it and yeah. and then nobody comes it's really too bad about atlanta because it's a beautiful if you haven't been there you know it's a it's like rolling hills atlanta's a, a really nice town everything like north of atlanta like north north of atlanta mm -hmm. um you start getting into mountains yeah, beautiful. Um, uh, my, we have some family friends that live, um, I, I'm, I can't even remember, pronounce the place that they live, but it's up, you know, like Cleveland, Georgia and, mm -hmm. and all areas up in there. And I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's all, you know, mountains and whatnot. And I mean, they have, they, like, they have wineries yeah. north of Atlanta yeah, and they make gorgeous. pretty good wine. And you want to talk about a cool place to go hang out. It's like some of these, like, you know, I mean, it's the, just like going to Napa, where, you know, you're going to the winery and there's like a restaurant and you do like your whole thing. These things are all like on a side of a mountain and you can see to South Carolina. Yeah. Um, and it's, oh, it's fantastic over yeah. there. I mean, it really, really, it's all very small towns and, mm -hmm. and this kind of thing, but it's just cool. And there's like, I mean, so much money has moved over there. It's not. Yeah, even, it's crazy. I well, mean, it I really mean, is amazing. Okay. We are way over time, Scott. Uh uh, I think that we need to, we've gone from, so here, I think the lesson of today, today's podcast, the theme is do not like, let the leftist fungus overtake your brain. That's right. And overtake your town, your school board, your city. You have I, to. I think the title of this is going to be, there's a fungus among us. There's a fungus among us. <laughs> and it needs there has to, to be. It has to. I've been waiting to use that for something for so long. It <laughs> finally came down. There is a fungus among us and it needs to be rooted out and if necessary, bomb it. Yes. And that is the that's the message. We look forward to your book on Barack Obama. And of we, course, everybody can buy it. Don't ask me what the title is because I don't we don't have it. We've got like six titles that we're we like but don't love. And so we we've been kicking around titles for a month and it's been a pain but we'll come up with something um but it, it should be really good it's it's going to be important uh i think because um it's going to sort of put a bow on like how we got here because yeah, over the yeah. last 15 years this is such a different country than it was mm -hmm. in 2007 um and, and it's so barack obama i mean there's no yes. question that the roots are there and and 15 years has been enough time to get kids through the educational system for everything to be fundamental. You know, when he talked about hope and change and there was more change than there, it was kind of hopeless and yeah. change, That's change right. came. And whether people want to acknowledge it or not, all right. of Biden, all of Biden's people are Obama's people. Obama is running this administration now. And yeah. well, in fact, my latest American Spectator column talks about Ron Klain. Yeah. Who you know, it was Biden's brain. Like yeah. that's what they called him was Biden's brain. And he, he'd been, you know, with Biden for a while, but he was also a very significant Obama flunky. And Ron Klain 
absolutely personifies the corruption of the elite in this country. Um, you know, and I didn't have a chance to really do much about him when he got the job because we were too busy talking about how Team Biden went into office and how right. destructive that election was. But on his way out, we can really analyze like, okay, this is this guy's legacy as a public servant, right? John McCain, called, John McCain called him the dumbest man in politics. And that's John McCain speaking. <laughs> so that tells you something. Even he didn't like him. So, I mean, it's just like, ah. Uh, well, uh, in, in my piece, and I, just, I will close with this. In my piece, I have the YouTube, a YouTube video and it's a clip of Kevin Spacey, who played Ron Klain in the HBO movie, The Recount, about Florida, mm. right? Where, you know, if, you, if you remember, Ron Klain was the guy in charge of the recount committee, where they were like, no, we're going to keep counting votes until Gore wins, all right? right? Which, you know, everybody thought that was nuts until it became basically standard operating procedure. It worked in Minnesota for them. Yes. Right. That was later, but yes. Right. And, but it, that started with Ron Klain. Yeah. Right. So yeah. Um, but anyway, Kevin Spacey interviews him, right. For this thing, or they're back and forth having a conversation. And it's mm -hmm. like, so who's creepier among these two guys? Oh yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and, you know, but we're governed by people who suck and we know that, but, um, you know, the point is, and like we've talked about in this podcast, there are lots of green shoots out there. And I think those are the things that we should be focusing on yes. because mo most of them are scalable, right? Yes. Things that are successfully done at the state level can be done at the national level because at the end of the day, that's multiple states. And even mm -hmm. if you can't do it at a national level, do it everywhere you can. Yes. Um, and we're starting to see it in the culture. We're not seeing it in economics yet, but I think maybe that can come. Um, and we're, we're definitely starting to see it in, in the political sphere as well. So again, I'm finding ways to be hopeful. Good. Well, and with that, uh, all of you, thank you for listening and watching. Please like us, share us, subscribe to us. Um, like if, you, if we get booted, I don't see if how we could get booted off of YouTube for this one. I don't think so. No. But if we do, you can find us at Rumble, Spotify, everywhere. So please, you know, whatever pl platform you like, one of our readers slash listeners, shout out, um, use a platform I had never heard of and was having trouble. It's how he listens to all his podcasts. And um, anyway, it's all working now. So pretty much anywhere you can find us, you it works. So Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week um, being our usual chipper selves. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. See you guys.